The Boise Bubble Podcast is brought to you in partnership with Speak Studios and Speak Boise. Speak Boise is a community-driven studio space where voices from all walks of life can speak and be heard. You can find them on Instagram and Facebook at Speak Studios, Speak Boise, and at their website, speakstudios.com. Speak Studios. Speak and be heard. Bros, springtime in the Treasure Valley is sports time. My favorite time, baby. Lacrosse. Football. Wrestling tournaments. Baseball. Yodeling. Darts. Roller derby. Croquet. Yes. Don't forget about soccer. Shut up, Mark. Come on, Mark. Hey, how many cubic feet of cargo space does your car have? My Volkswagen Tiguan, it's got 37, which means I haul my buddies and their clubs to the course. Well, that's also enough room for uh, Mark's Participation Awards. Hey, I tried really hard for those things. Hey, Volkswagen, engineered to be easy. Like soccer. What the f***? This is the Boise Bubble Podcast, where we talk all things Treasure Valley. We're your hosts, Shane and Natalie Plummer. Welcome back to the conversation. Welcome back, friends, and welcome guests to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're sharing a microphone today, so we'll see how how we do this. We might be fighting a little bit. That's okay. <laughs> Says you. Okay. All right. So today, uh, Shane, why don't you tell us a little bit about what our topic is today? Sure. We were thinking, I think, on the heels of our podcast about California, about first impressions and what it felt like to come to the Valley for the first time, what it felt like for us, and how it kind of forms the impressions of, or the future of our relationship with this place. And we had a wonderful conversation with one of our guests about her perceptions, and it spawned the idea to have uh, this podcast focus on what it must seem like for people from the different coasts and the different places in the country to come and experience Idaho and specifically the Treasure Valley for the first time. So let's start with introductions. Okay, Melissa, let's start on the end. Hi, my name is Melissa Shane, and I'm an accountant with Numbers and Tech, and I moved here from New York City a few years ago. When you say a few years, how many years? Six now. So okay. I've been here a while, but we uh, sold everything, bought a van, traveled 25 states over the course of five months, and we picked Boise. We thought, oh, if we don't like it, we can keep moving on. We haven't moved on, and I can't imagine leaving. Love it. All right. Amazing. Hi, guys. I'm Annie Tevlin. Um, I'm the founder of Skin Owl Skincare, which is a vegan, cruelty-free skincare brand here in Boise. We just opened up our newest, or actually our first location um, on Bound Way, and uh, the host of Off the Record Podcast. Um, And I moved here in, in August. I packed up everything from Los Angeles and got in the car and drove the 13 hours and got here on actually September 11th. So... Now, I feel like when you mentioned that you have a podcast, you have an obligation to at least give a blurb. What is Off the yes. Record Podcast? <clears throat> okay, so I love that. Thank you for asking that. So Off the Record, uh, essentially, I'll say this. When you talk to people about their skin for long enough, you wind up talking about all the other things that led them to feeling fatigue or that led them to getting acne or that led them to feeling like they were aging uh, prematurely. And so a lot of times these consults that I would have with people about their skin, would they would turn into conversations about their home life talk about motherhood, stresses, lack of sleep, all of these types of things. And people were opening up like in a way that was really cathartic, not just for them, but for me. And so um, I decided to spawn, this is now the third year, uh, a podcast that was just called Off the Record. And it was an opportunity for people who are celebrities or influencers or tastemakers, entrepreneurs who um, 
you know, I think are known and beloved to go off the record and talk about things that they've never talked to, uh, to people about before. So it's, it's like run the gamut. Like there's people talking about divorce. There's people talking about, you know, childhood trauma. And it's just been a really good supplement to the skincare brand that is just as transparent. Um, that's so interesting because um, I, you know, you've worked on my skin and it's funny because I feel like, oh man, I've told you some things. <laughs> of course, the first time I met you, I'm like, we had, we had went to coffee and I was telling you all the things. Maybe you just have the aura. But then <laughs> Melissa also, so Melissa works with us for, with our numbers and business is how we got to know her. And finances is such an interesting, intimate thing. And I found myself telling you all these things mm-hmm. like, well, you know kind of fight about this or whatever and I'm like am I telling you these things and yeah it was it was nice so it's fun because you guys both um kind of experience people's intimacy in very different ways but you're both really good at handling that which is I think why we really wanted both of you here together because I thought it would and be a really fun team I say it's very interesting that you think that because for me talking to people about their either personal finances or business finances I mean it, they're confiding in me and oftentimes will tell me things that maybe even their family members or partners Partners don't know. And I I love that. It's also taking on a lot of confidence and responsibility. Mm -hmm. But that's what made me start a podcast also, because hearing all these individual stories and dreams and goals and prior failures and what's worked and not worked prompted me to start Numbers in Tech podcast so that others could tell their journey and maybe those that were fearful of taking that step or maybe they'd failed in the past and were unsure how to get back on track. So I, I love people's stories. And then we sit down on the couch here and we're just like this, because <laughs> now we have like this like East Coast, you know, there's this tie of East Coast that runs between us. But I feel like much like you guys, um, it, it, once you know how to talk to people, you just know how to talk to people and, and the conversation becomes, I think, a little bit more than it maybe would have 10 years ago if we had not had a podcast. Exactly. And the New Yorker and me, I can talk to anybody, anyone on the street. If you just sit him next to me, uh, I'll talk to him. I'm here for that. I'm seeing like a common, uh, a common factor of vulnerability. People with their skin, people with their finances. I, I'm not saying that I've got perfect skin, but I think that women kind of j- spend more time in that arena. But for the finances, when you came in and you were talking to us, M- Melissa, oh my gosh, it was like, Please help me. <laughs> Please help me. And I'm going to tell you all the things that I'm doing wrong. And I just need some, I just need someone to help me. And I, I think that people are willing to open up to people who are open. Yeah. And know how to listen and talk. Yep. I love so, that. So let's start with some stories. Uh, Melissa, why did you come to the Treasure Valley? Mm-hmm. Tell us uh, again. You, you kind of hinted at it. Sure. Sure. Um, I, I grew up in the Chicago area, but I married a New Yorker, moved back to New York and we lived in in the city in either Manhattan or Brooklyn. And we realized that we were suddenly in our forties and still living the same life as in our twenties, no children. And we just wanted more and not that there was anything wrong with New York, but we were looking for diversity, a different lifestyle. When I say diversity, so we sold everything. We got on Craigslist and bought a van and just started Going through, we pulled out a map and we put where everyone we knew lived and all our friends and where we wanted to go. And I'm, like I said, was an accountant. I was working for a talent agency. My husband's a programmer, data scientist. We can work from anywhere. And we just said, let's start at New York, go down the East Coast, go across the Southern US, go up California. So then we were in um, Lake Tahoe, never been there, beautiful place. A friend calls us. 
and says, I've moved to Boise. Come visit me. Because, of course, at that time, we had it all on Instagram and Facebook. And we were like, well, we are going to go to Yellowstone. Why don't we come to Boise? We stayed here three days, and we were highly impressed. We kept on with our trip, went to Colorado, but Boise stuck in our mind. So where did you visit before you came here? You said Tahoe. Where else? Uh, San Francisco, of course, Arizona, Texas, Florida, And after we left here, we did go to Colorado. We thought we'd probably end up in Colorado because we wanted to be west of the Mississippi. We were done with Midwest, East Coast. And we knew, of course, we could always go to Seattle or Portland, but we weren't sure about the weather. Mm -hmm. And we wanted a kind of third-tier city. We didn't want big city. We didn't want – my husband was like, I can't do small town. So Boise kind of checked off all the boxes for us without us even considering it, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Annie, tell us your, your story. How, how did you get here? <clears throat> oh, my gosh. Um, uh, through hell and high water, I feel like I got here. I as, as Melissa's talking, it's like all of these life memories, these things that bring you to where you are today are just kind of like flashing. It's like almost emotional. But, you know, I'll say this. I was in L.A. for 17 years. Um, I moved there when I was 23 years old, fresh out of college. I was a makeup artist and, and worked in music videos. And, and that was where you went. You know, it, there was there was a calling and I, and I answered the call. And honestly, the, the bottom of that industry fell out. Um, music videos in general, uh, once like piracy and copyright infringement started happening and Spotify. And so I think for many years I was like wandering around LA and trying to figure out my place until skin owl. And I, I kind of took matters into my own hands and started skin owl and skin owl kept me in LA. I think probably longer than I otherwise would have been nonetheless loved it. Um, you know, I have quite a history there. I was married, I was divorced, um, ups and downs with businesses. I was then remarried and we had a child. And I remember looking at Micah, my husband, and just being like, this is not a place to raise children. Like it's hard enough for adults and you see kids driving around in BMWs and you see, you know, $40,000 a year in private school, as I'm sure you would experience Melissa in New York Mm -hmm. city. And it's just like, could we do it? Maybe sure. But would it be so hard? Yeah, it would be extremely hard. So, um, uh, to Melissa's point kind of started circumnavigating the map and we were thinking of Raleigh, we were thinking, you know, maybe Savannah or maybe, um, Boulder. Uh, but then very quickly, I think we really wanted to stay on the West coast. Um, I, I very much love the West coast. And so, then Boise came up. And honestly, it almost felt like this new chapter where I wasn't hearing about Boise at all. And then as the world started to understand how special this place was, um, that started disseminating. It started coming down the line and friends had moved here. It started showing up on Instagram, like bloggers moving from California and Washington and Oregon were then settling with their families in Boise and uh, May of the pandemic uh, which hit LA and the whole world, obviously, in March. So two months later, we drove here. We were like, well, we don't feel comfortable getting on a plane just yet. So why don't we go somewhere that we can drive? Seattle was a pretty lateral move, not for us weather-wise. Portland was a lateral move, even in terms of like affordability for a house. And then uh, we came to Boise. And it was foot for foot, like one of the most beautiful places I had ever been. It reminded me a lot of growing up in Northern Virginia. It reminded me a lot of going to school in Indiana. Um, 
the the people i will say this like i haven't i have traveled the world and i have never in my life met such a friendly population and i mean like guttural friendliness not friendly because they want something from you um but just because that's in their heart and that's the right thing to do and there's a decency here that i think unfortunately um expired in in my experience in la um and and it was it's magic and it's a place that i just didn't want to change you know and i and i realize people listening to this podcast i'm from the dreaded california i'm from here but it was very important to me to you know build a business bring an economy here hire people and and really just keep this place exactly the way it is because i don't it's like the last frontier and and that was very attractive coming from 28 days later <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, and you, it's interesting you said that you the the impression that you had when you came here is just this the friendliness. Um, I on my Instagram page, Hello Meridian, a couple of days ago, I just asked people tell us about your first impressions of coming to the Treasure Valley, and there were some really funny ones. Um, but that was I'd say eighty percent of the people just said how shocked they were at the genuine friendly nature of people. And we moved here from the South. So it wasn't such a, a strange thing for us because people are relatively friendly in the South. Um, it just felt natural, but that this, this is almost a shocking experience for people, which makes me sad that yeah. there'd be a place, I guess, so stark different um, in that. But um, let's stay with you for just a second. Annie, can you tell me, uh, some it, was there anything else that really struck you um, when you first arrived here? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple things. Like, I'm an entrepreneur, and so um, coming from Los Angeles, where beauty is so saturated, like if I had opened up a skin owl store in LA, I don't think it would have been as impactful um, because literally there's just stuff on every corner and really cool ideas, and and you know everybody's moving and shaking and hustling and bustling, and there's some flakiness there and everybody's broke. <laughs> so there's like no real, I don't know. There's just, I'll just get to it next week. The event, there'll be another beauty event next week. So I'll mm. just go next week. So there's no real, like, um, there's a lot of elevated experiences there in beauty, but there's not in Boise. Um, and I, right when I came here, I had never thought about opening up a store and I thought to myself, this is a place where I think people will respect truly what's going on here. This is a, a super dry climate you know, skin, there's a lot of fatigue. There's a lot of people, um, dealing with four seasons. And I just feel like, wouldn't this be an incredible place, not only to raise a family and, and actually send your kids to public school, um, but to be a part of a community. And, and I went to bound crossing. I honestly, I went on bound way and I was like, this is where I'm going to have my store. And that was one of the first places that it was actually the only place in town where I was like, I feel like I'm home and I feel like this is a village and a community and I want to be a part of this community and like give people an experience that they've never had before. Um, and, and that you can't find that in a lot of places and Boise has that. Hmm. Well, so how about you? When you guys first, uh, you arrived in Boise and you're like, all right, this is it. What were the, some of the things that, that really stood out to you that being different from what you had experienced before? Well, the friendliness, of course, stood out. And and we thought about it, like, why? Because I'll often say, I don't feel like New Yorkers are mean. But I think the perspective is there's 12 million people in New York City versus even if you want to say half a million people in the whole Treasure Valley area. So the congestion, from my perspective, say I'm in line at Starbucks, 
I can't chit chat in New York City with the barista because I've got 10 people behind me in line or I'm at the deli getting a bagel in the morning. That is rude. Mm-hmm. They're all waiting to get to work. They're all waiting to catch their subway. They're all doing things. So it is almost considered that you're taking up other people's time if you're chit-chatting. You get to the point, you move on. Same with standing, like personal space. I'm so used to getting on a subway or a bus and standing as close to the person next to me as I can because that means three more people might be able to get on. Mm-hmm. So when I came here the first time we were at Home Depot getting keys made for our house, I stood right behind this gentleman in line. <laughs> I didn't even think anything about it. My husband's like, Melissa, Melissa. He goes, he like, oh. the gentleman in front of you is very uncomfortable. <laughs> and I was like, he goes, you're standing right next to him. Mm-hmm. Not even thinking. Because if I give two or three feet of space in New York, someone's going to cut me off. Interesting. So Survival. Wow. It is not... I think there's this perception that we are rude or aggressive or mean. And I'm sure at times, yes, we are. But it's also being considerate of 12 million other people trying to get to places. Mm -hmm. So here, without the large number of people in restaurants or coffee shops or things, they may be full, but they're not packed. Mm -hmm. I have the time to suddenly, how are you today? And actually answer the question without just going, fine, thanks, and then asking for something so the friendliness that is genuine because there's time and space to do it was was nice. The entrepreneurial opportunities in the Treasure Valley are unlike anywhere else yep. either because you have to have so much capital to open a storefront or you have to be so high up the food chain to be a consultant to get into the doors in the larger cities. And here it's very organic. Mm-hmm. It may take a little bit of capital or it's just going to networking events and talking to people and going to your grand openings and things like that. The opportunities here are, are very unlike large cities. Yes. I'm kind of curious about what you had said about standing in line and not having time to chit chat. What's driving the urgency in that kind of environment? Was it this, uh, that's a question for you, but I kind of want you to say, uh, Annie, was it the same on the West coast too? I mean, why is everybody in such a hurry? Well, one thing too, especially if, I mean, in, in New York city, you don't drive. So you're, you're walking or you're taking a subway or you're taking a bus. So there's always that thought, Oh, if I miss this train, when's the next one? The next train could be 12 minutes or 20 minutes. So, and if you maybe that day didn't leave, I may be only be a 15 minute commute to my office, but oh, if I miss that one train and I didn't leave work or leave the house 40 minutes early, I left the house 20 minutes early. And if you have meetings or doctor's appointments, think of all these things that um, can really just add up. It's not 30 second delay, it's potentially a 20 minute delay. So those are things I get out in the street, maybe the weather suddenly is bad, or they can just piggyback on each other. So sometimes it's hurry up and wait, hurry up and wait. I feel that when I'm driving and I don't make the light and I'm cussing the person in front of me, <laughs> exactly that wasn't going fast enough. And, and I think this whole domino effect is going to screw three my whole or day. Four minute yeah. wait. Imagine that if or maybe there's too many people and you can't get on that bus and you got to wait for the next one. Mm. So it's always that sense of urgency because you don't know where you're going to get pushback. Mm. And maybe you're going to arrive somewhere 20 minutes early and you're, oh, wow, I'm early. Was it hard for you to fall into the more laid back, leisurely oh, pace? Definitely. It was hard? Definitely. Yes. Yes. Because I'm very... 
Let's get it done. <laughs> chop, chop for, yes. Um, mm. And even now, well, I wish we were going to movies now, but <laughs> when I would go to the movie theater, I'll still show up an hour early because I want to sit in the last row in the center. Yes. <laughs> and in New York, if you weren't there as soon as those doors opened to get the seat you wanted... And here I'm like, wow, I can just arrive 15 minutes before the movie's going to start and I'll still have a great seat. It's very hard to take that step back mm. and, and not be rushing. Similar urgency in L.A.? It's, it's interesting. You know, I think Los Angeles and maybe California as a whole, um, there's the illusion that we're all you know, there's the beach and it's breezy and beautiful weather and we're all just in tank tops all day, like rollerblading on the Venice Pier. But the reality of a place like Los Angeles and New York is, you know, people move to Los Angeles for opportunities and people move to Los Angeles because it's the road less traveled. And and Los Angeles, I would say even, uh, there's no place like it in the nation for in positive ways and, and challenging ways, but it is the home of the dreamer. And these are people who are there to be actors and singers and, and agents and producers and to, to follow a dream. You know, you don't, maybe you end up in LA because you're an accountant. Um, but really, the, a lot of people living there, I mean, I had an Uber driver who was literally like, oh, I got a script. Like, okay. So, you know, it's like everybody's got this dream that they come to LA for. And, and so that, that there's a chaos as a result of that. There's this, my life is passing me by. I don't want to move home and do what all the rest of the kids from high school did. I want to like, I'm here to leave a mark. And, and that has its own kind of genome of chaos in it where, you know, it's not, you're not getting on the subway and you're not trying to get the bus and you're not trying to do all these things, but you don't want to waste your time in LA. And that's why I think every person that you meet, it's an opportunity and it's unfortunate, but that's that's the vibe that I started to feel as I was in that in that city is like, wow, like there are networking events all the time because everybody is seeing each other um, as this weird ladder as part of their experience. And it, and it was kind of, it was a turnoff. I'm not going to lie. It was a turnoff to me because I much like Melissa, I just sometimes you just want to take your time. And like not be rushed and not be so cognizant of the millions of people around you who are also trying to achieve and go through their day. But there's a ceiling. There's a real, there's a real ceiling, I think, on a, a certain type of lifestyle in L.A. Because if you live in L.A. and you bitch about the traffic or you're frustrated about, you know, four people living in an apartment at once or, um, you know, <sighs> I don't even know, like how long it would obviously take for you to commute someplace or how often you stay kind of at the bottom of the rung of a ladder and how hard it is to move up. It's probably not the city for you. It's most people I know that live there pay their dues. And then at a certain point, you want to get on with your life and start making something out of it. And and I think that that breeds some kind of um, uneasiness, restlessness, chaos, impatience. It, it breeds all of that in in you. And and some people leave, you know, because of it. It's interesting. You, your stories are very different. But what I hear that's similar in both of those is that in those two places, when space between people in, in a metaphorical or literal way, it's going to be filled with someone else. But maybe in Boise, we allow that space to exist and we allow a space for people on their own time schedule that people can come here and kind of enter in as um as they feel comfortable and and that 
in itself is kind of a friendly situation because it's it's not so self-focused and it sounds like maybe in those kind of places you have to be t- for survival but here the currency isn't as much about time um but i've noticed that because i work a lot in with entrepreneurs is that there is an interesting feeling of um there's enough for all of us and that we do come from a place uh, of plenty um that i've definitely felt and i i'm really spoiled by that because i've only worked um here but as i hear people come in that 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 is such a shocking experience to feel that welcoming and feel that place almost reserved for them as if it was always there for them yes i couldn't agree more i feel um that extremely (laughs) resonates a lot and i think i don't know it's 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 sometimes i feel like la is a hub and it's a wonderful place to go and and do the thing that you set out to do and, and maybe make the money and buy the house and but in terms of like core values and if you were raised with you know i was raised with a, a crappy car and i got the the hand me down of the hand me down of the hand me down and when you really just want something slower and you want space to be able to process your day and process your life and know where you're going as opposed to just like i just got to stay on the path of achievement and productivity and then you come to boise and and it's this wonderful land of opportunity in terms of your values and going back to this centering that you know lives in you but you weren't able to access in these cities because of the demand and then you have a child and you expose them to children who are not on their phones and playing outside and on trampolines and and you know nature immersion and all of these things and it's like sometimes i don't know if melissa you felt this but it's like i wonder how much you know obviously my life took me to where i was supposed to be but part of me is like i wish i had done this sooner mm. there's definitely um i felt in new york a lot of competition and but it was a different kind of competition i feel like there's maybe a little bit here and maybe i'm even seeing some of the changes happening here but in new york in especially you know i come from a very white collar office situation it was you know get a good college degree where did you go to school and what degree did you have and not even a bachelor's degree but a master's or a phd so there's the competition for jobs in new york first just based upon that part of your resume who you know what are you an alumni of and then of course working your way up the corporate ladder one of the things i found uh, refreshing about New York, though, is they do give a lot of responsibility to young people. You'll see editors or managers or directors in their late 20s or early 30s, whereas my college friends or friends that I grew up with that maybe stayed back in the Midwest or were elsewhere in the world, they were still, you know, associate or senior associate. They weren't a manager or director or that. In New York, they'll give you that level of responsibility. But if you don't achieve or perform, you're out. Mm-hmm. There's not that sense of mentorship or development. It's always competition. So there is that feeling that there is not abundance for all. There is for people that will perform greatly, there are great rewards. But unfortunately, if you're not a person that can take that stress, take that drive, take that motivation, you will be kind of spit out and sent back to where you came from. And so... For me, as I lived there in my 20s and my 30s and then in my early 40s, it just became such an innate part of me. And I was aware of it, but at the same time, you know, you always want to keep improving. 
and learning and doing better. And that's kind of what you tell yourself until you're like, when is enough enough? When can I enjoy? Has anyone asked you about your degree since you moved here? No one. No one. (laughs) And it's refreshing. It's, I don't feel that competition here. I feel more, I interact with people because we're compatible. We enjoy each other's company. We respect one another on a human basis versus on a on paper basis. So I heard that status is defined by education, position in your career or your field, and uh, that can be rough. Mm-hmm. How is status defined on the West Coast? Hmm. That's an a incredible question. Um, who you know. Uh, who you know. Access to people. Um, you are important, you know, the royal you. You are important to me if you know somebody that can help me get to where I'm going. And right, I'm not speaking in absolutes. Like my inner circle of friends, there was integrity, there was compassion. We, these were like my silly goose friends and it was awesome. But then you go out into the world and you interact with people that, you know, for me in the entrepreneurial space or in the celebrity space or just, I, I think, honestly, any any sphere, you're just going to be met with people because of the population density too. So we're dealing with millions of people living in a city. So therefore, just by default, you're going to interact with someone who's not aligned with your values. Um, Because there's more people in LA than there are in Boise, I think you're going to be subject to that. It's not that Boise is everything good and LA is everything bad. It's just that when you have the all of this exposure, and then you mix that with the chaos and you mix that with the fact that everybody is sometimes it just feels like there's the really, really rich. And then there's everybody else who's just trying to get by. And my husband and I were doing decently well. You know what I mean? Like middle class and every month it was a constant consideration for money. Every single month it's a constant consideration for money. So when you have that in you and you're keyed up and you're just constantly your nervous system is just kind of always in this fight or fight or flight response then it's not surprising that um, <laughs> coming here, it, you're going to have to dial down. You're mm-hmm. going to have to rearrange the way that you interpret human behavior and rearrange the way that you interpret um, people wanting to get to know you even. Like I, I remember coming here and there was someone coming across the street to come and talk to me. And that first month it was like, what is this? <laughs> this per- just, you know, is this person armed? Like it was that kind of a feeling and that, and I, it sounds like a joke, but that is a real traumatic response after living to a place where people do not talk to each other. And, and this is the last thing I'll say, but in LA, there's no public transportation really, not Mm -hmm. that the public takes. So we are people that are in our cars and in New York and growing up in DC and on the East coast, these these are people that you have to be next to each other because you're smashed in together on a subway. You're taking a cab together. You're hopping out. Someone else is hopping in. You walk by people, okay, on the street, and there's an integrity there. In LA, you can flick someone off and keep driving, and you'll never see them again. So we are like this one city that does not have certain social graces, and we do not know how to have that brotherhood and sisterhood and neighborly personality towards each other because we've never had to, you know, had (laughs) we've never had to stand up to someone face to face. It's always something that we can easily escape in our car. And that changes people. Wow. So for the two of you coming in, um, what was the hardest thing for you, I guess, to change about your perception of, I guess, just day-to-day life? Was there something that you just really had to, I guess, a mind shift? 
I definitely realized how I have functioned at such a fast-paced capacity for so long that I had to practice patience, not only with myself, but with others, and not expect decisions made quickly or conversations to happen quickly, and not only learn to be patient, but then to actually enjoy it. Because if this is where I'm going to choose to make my home, I want to be happy here and and get into that um, feeling. I do often, though, miss that face-to-face with complete strangers on the street so much because I would walk into my apartment. I mean, I knew, I saw my neighbors and walked past my neighbors all the time or small storefront owners and stuff. And here, I miss that. There are people on my street that I don't even know their name and they may live two houses down or neighbors that I'll just wave at. But I am shocked at how many people I know here now way more than I knew in New York, which is crazy to me, I think, because I've had the opportunity to actually have civil conversations that last more than five minutes and that you can repeatedly interact with. So it's this odd mix of population, not population, interaction, no interaction, but it's, it's I think Boise is just a wonderful place because we have more of a balance. Yes. So I'm curious what you found to be bonkers coming from where you were what do you see here that you're like oh my gosh the driving that they do that here the driving is phenomenal (laughs) i don't even know how else to say you put your turn signal on and they let you in i'm used to if you put your turn signal on they're gonna squeeze up the space and not let you in I so if I see coming out someone coming out of a driveway or it's, I, I'm waving y'all in. Yes. I, oh. I I went the driving here to be one. I just can't believe, and I know people will complain, but I'm like, wow. I have I adopted love the this mentality here. of we are all in this together, especially yes. when we're on the road. Yes, <laughs> let's just kind of give each other a little bit of grace. If you need someone to get in, that drives me crazy when I see someone who's trying to merge and someone else <laughs> is trying to scoot up. I'm like. What are you trying to accomplish? Are you trying to save like a half a second by that distance be where you could have been? It makes no sense to me. Thank you to everyone that's ever let me in. Oh. And then also, it does surprise me. If I know two lanes are going to merge after the light, people will start lining up single file before the light. And the New York in me is like, everybody go to the very end of the merge and then merge together so that more people get through the light. That's cheating here. I know, Total and it's cheating. considered rude. And I, once again, I have to say, I don't think it's rude. I think it's getting as many people through that light, and then we'll is all it, slowly merge. Isn't technically how it's supposed to be? Like, isn't that? But it's not. Like, yeah, I think that, they, that the no, intent I mean, of the design is to get more volume through. That's what I mean. Isn't that the way you're, the way we do it here? I always thought it was kind of odd. People but I'm now, it. I'm in line with everyone else. Yeah. I'm the ant in the line because I don't want people to think I'm yeah. rude. I'm one of you, everybody. I'm in line, <laughs> paying my dues. I've noticed the resistance to roundabouts. 
people freak out about roundabouts here. And they did it in the South too, mm-hmm. as opposed to like a four way stop where everyone had to go and cycle through and mm-hmm. go through the rotation. People here, like I've heard stories of people in CUNA freaking out over the, the roundabout. <laughs> like they won't even go there. Out. They don't go or they striking. Or? No, they're like freaking out, writing their Congress people. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Well, they don't fun. want it. I love they're, the roundabout. I love a good yeah. roundabout. Yeah. yeah. It, it makes, makes me total feel sense. really fancy actually. And, it, and you get yeah. to where you're going. It's like, it keeps the flow of your, of your yeah. traffic going as it opposed to a four way like stop a, like a mini tribute to what is it in london you the mean big, in france uh, <laughs> oh yeah like the champs Elysees. Yeah, yeah. yeah yeah that's what i'm trying to say yeah, yeah. I, I haven't traveled so <laughs> overseas I, I do have to put a plug to the courtesy wave when i see someone who gets to uh, who is allowed to move in and then they give a courtesy wave i'm like gosh dang i freaking love that guy yes. that lady's awesome he literally says that though like it's something comes over him when we're driving and if he sees a courtesy wave he's like his whole mood changes. Oh man, did you see that? I do that. I always me. say thank you yeah, or yeah. you're welcome, even though they can't hear me. Yep. It is very nice. All right. So traffic, <laughs> what blew your mind when you got here? I mean, okay. So two things. First of all, and it kind of goes back to my original point. When I before I moved here, someone said, you know, just so you know, Boise is very live and let live, and and I love that because everybody, nobody's in my business, nobody cares about what I'm doing, and that's very. <laughs> It's very anti-city because everybody, what, what, what's this person wearing? What did you see that person across the street? Like everybody's got something to say about everyone and it's just part of the chaos. And here, like Boise encourages you to be a better person because of the integrity and the, the, the pulse of humanity here. When someone comes up to me walking in my neighborhood, I mean, literally this happens all the time. And to answer your question, what is bananas? I cannot tell you when I'm out on a walk, how many people are like, top of the morning, t- how are you doing? It's a beautiful day for sunshine, isn't it? And I'm like, <laughs> oh my God. Like it was so, it was like, you know, there's like this old quote where Jonathan Adler said, no one would be so rude as to call me. And it's kind of like that theory in LA where it's like, who in God's name would be calling me right now? Like what is going on with this loser? And now here it's like these, everybody just has the decency and the top of mind and the time and the interest in people. And it's like, it's a, it's, it's a, like an almost emotional experience to have someone be so interested in talking to you, especially after such an isolating year to have someone just come out of their house and take interest in what you're doing and just wish you well. And the, the, just the care I think that people put into each other here is amazing. And the second thing I'll say is access to the Boise river. The beach was always so crowded in LA and, and I remember going down, um, it was, I think it was like off 38th or something or 40th. And I went and just parked my car off of one of these side streets and just kind of walked onto the green belt. And I went down to the river in like, the most beautiful pocket. And I remember just sitting there alone and there was no one there around me. And I just got to like sit and think about my day and not be on my phone. And I remember coming home and telling my husband, like, I cannot believe that there was no one there taking, like asking for money from me to have a ticket to access that. That is one of, it is for me, like one of the most special, if not the most special things about living in the city is having a river run through it that everywhere you look, it's just this aesthetically pleasing place. And to be able to access that and and to Melissa's point, like just to have space to think about who you are in your world and what you're giving to the things that you're putting time into, it that is devoid. You don't have that time. You want that. You desperately want that time. I desperately wanted that time in LA and now I have it. And so 
this whole live and let live, it's, it's like a permission slip for me to, I don't have to be the LA person in Boise. I can let Boise influence me to go slower. And who will I become if I move slower? I love that so much. It's, we had this podcast about Californians coming to, um, to Idaho and it was, uh, it was, we had so much feedback, but what people just have continued to say over and over again is please let people know we are not trying to change Boise. We are here to be part of you. And that I think was the most, um, the, the theme that we just heard so much. And there is a fear that we have this beautiful thing that, that is going to be changed. And of course things evolve, uh, that happens. Um, but that people are coming to take advantage of this feeling they are desperate for and, and that they wanted to assure people that they saw the value in that and wanted to take advantage of that and not to change it. And I love that we're hearing that from you too. Um, but as wonderful as Boise is in the treasure Valley, you know, it's not, it, there are things that we don't have um, that other places have. Is there anything you really miss from the places that you've come from? I'm going to let New York City answer that because <laughs> I know of a couple things and if I was in New York that I would miss. So I'm going to let you lead that. Well, of course, you know, top of the list would be, you know, the fabulous restaurants <laughs> and, you know, the Broadway plays and the museums, the culture of those things. My perspective on that was, of course, all pre-COVID, I can always travel to go to those things. I would travel back to New York City probably three or four times a year. So I don't need to just have these wonderful restaurants or these plays available to me seven days a week. They can be special events and things of like that. Um, I do miss the exposure to so much unknown, the diversity. Um, I worked with people, I don't know if people realize this, probably about 60% of residents of New York City speak two or three languages. So many people come to there from all over the world for education or for jobs. And so in my office, we'd have the calendars for employees, religions I didn't even know existed and what they were taking off for this or that. Um, I learned so much from things I'd never been exposed to growing up elsewhere. So I I miss sometimes being surprised by the unknown, the odd, the strange. Um, that's probably my biggest takeaway, but yep. I figure I can always travel to see that. Mm. Yeah, I um, I was going to say bagels and Chinese food. <laughs> <laughs> and if anybody has a great Chinese food, like I'm still on the hunt for that. But that's not a, that's not a West Coast <laughs> thing. For me, I miss good Mexican food. <laughs> um, and I've had some good Mexican food. And, and there's a couple more places that people are like, you've got to go here, here, here. And so like the list, I, I'm not done. But um, what made awesome Mexican food in L.A.? Um, access to Mexico, to be honest. So you had you had. Uh, Tijuana right after the San Diego you could drive literally from San Diego my husband's from San Diego and you could drive straight into the border and and be in Rosarito and be in Tijuana and um, and then of course you have people coming into California and opening up these mon pa restaurants that have like the best street tacos you've ever had and you have food trucks and it was you know LA unlike New York um, is not it's not a city that suppers it's not a city that eats dinner. Um, in New York, you have a strong European pulse. In LA, you have a strong Mexican and Asian pulse. And these are all street food 
this is like a street food society. So LA to like sit down and have dinner and have like that Italian dinner for four hours. That's not an LA thing. You like eat the appetizer, you eat the thing on the way to the other thing. And so that street food, just picking up food at a food truck and um, the people that you meet while you're doing that and the diversity, like that was just a really cool thing in LA. And honestly, it's the arts. I think for me, just to be able to walk into a bar or walk into the Troubadour and like see some of the most amazing musicians before they even get famous, like the music scene in LA, my heart goes out to those musicians, but I miss it desperately. Um, the comedy store, I mean, seeing all of these comedians, I saw, you know, whatever, uh, oh my God, the guy, he was the other guy with Chris Farley, David Spade, just like randomly walked into the comedy store to see another act. And then Dave Chappelle and David Spade just decided to be like surprise guests. It's like, (laughs) it's nuts. It's nuts. It's nuts. And so you have this like access to these people that you idolize and are like these massive mentors to you in the arts. And, um, I, I missed that. I didn't think I would. and, And I haven't thought about that question, but sitting here now, I, I loved having access to people who are just so brilliant in their craft. Mm. Curious about my wife. What do you miss about the South? Oh, hmm. the South. Um, well, I would say I loved the South. It was freaking hot. Like the humidity <laughs> sucks. And um, that's why I really loved coming here at first. The first thing was just like, oh my gosh, like I don't have to wash my sheets every day. And my skin I mean, my skin was great there, but like my skin didn't feel like I had to like wipe it off like constantly. That was just a disgusting feeling. But when I came here, I mentioned on another podcast, I felt very, very exposed because um, you can see the whole valley like you're on your if you stand on your roof, you can see everything. And it was I miss the feeling of of nature's closeness, I guess, in the south. Um, There's just a nature in chaos and you don't have to plant anything. It just grows. And that constant sound of, um, cicadas. Um, I miss the, um, I miss thunderstorms and I miss opening your windows in the summer and actually almost feeling summer in a different way than you had doing other places in the country. Just the way that it feels old. I think I would say, uh, there was, I felt when I moved to the South that I was taking part in a culture that I was really honored to be able to be part of. And that, um, and uh, Idaho feels much newer. I mean, it isn't really, but in culture, it, it we are a newer place. And so, um, but I miss desperately the diversity. Uh, that was the shock for me is coming here and we're real white. Like we were just a lot of white people here, which is great, you know, but also I'm like, where's everyone else? And I was concerned about um, raising my family in a place that they were not going to just have schoolmates that were from lots of different places. I didn't want them to feel like this was the only way to be and the only way to live. And so I think I missed that the most. They also have really good food in the South too, like Southern food. Oh my gosh. I miss Southern food. Like, uh, po boys and I don't know. What about you? What do you miss from the South? You're from the South. So I'm from, I'm originally from Spokane. And so really I'm just, I mean, I grew up 15 minutes outside of Idaho, but, uh, you're from Arkansas. What do you miss from the South? You talk about the humidity as being oppressive and it is, it is incredibly oppressive, but there's also in the swing seasons, 
when the heat or the cold doesn't make it painful, it's this, um, I don't know, you smell history, you smell that age that you were talking about, you smell the earth, everything is so fragrant. And I do miss that. I miss the smells, I think, of the South, the feel of the water in the air, uh, the smell of honeysuckle. Oh my gosh, I miss oh, honeysuckle yeah. so so bad. I don't know why we can't have honeysuckle here. <laughs> maybe I need to try this. Probably the winters. <laughs> maybe. I think the freeze. Maybe. But, um, and I love the pace, and the pace actually of the South reminds me of the, of the pace here. Like you're talking about status and competition. I don't feel that here. Like I was asking myself the question, well, how do, how is status defined here in Idaho? Because down South, I think that some of it was like your, your lineage, like your family, your history. That was part of status, but that's about as far as I felt it. Like I never felt like the car, like having a new car to show your status or having the education to prove that you were of value, but your family history was pretty important. I feel like in some ways status here is almost measured from my perception, community involvement, whether that's politics, because if you look at, um, because it's just one thing that I've, once again, doors are so open to opportunity here. So I took many classes and spoke to especially women that are active in politics here. And I was surprised at how many generations of family over family have been politically active. But then also on the volunteer side, I have never lived anywhere where people volunteer so much and support the community. That was very shocking to me. I guess I'm more used to write the check, send it off, that kind of thing, versus going and help, you know, fill the backpacks for the school-aged children or feed the teachers or things of that nature. I couldn't believe how much volunteering takes place here, face-to-face volunteering, not just passing the buck kind of thing. And I'm a member of Junior League, which is a women's organization that I was also a member of on the East Coast. And it's all about volunteer service. And the women I met here, their mothers and grandmothers and families, it's almost like status here is a little bit more, I don't want to say do-gooders, but in, in, in a good way, I feel they're such an active part of the community here, which I wasn't used to or exposed to elsewhere. Yeah. And it's like so crazy because there's so much do-gooding in these cities that we come from, but there's also this other, there's the underbelly. I think the do-gooding in the cities is much more organized through nonprofit organizations. It's much more structured. Here it's a lot more organic. It's people reaching out and helping people, going to the park and helping out or feeding others or that. Um, Here you're actually almost... access to it. Like you're, you're on almost, the front line. Yes, it's very front line. Mm. The underbelly, you were about to say something about, about that. Yeah, I, I just think in order to get to the part of you that has the time and the wherewithal and the presence to like go to that school and do what I did today with Natalie, you've got to wade through all this other stuff. You've got to, there's so much reconciliation. There's no, it's like, you. it's not a very freeing place to live at all times because again, there's the ceiling. You've got a, well, I've got this thing on the calendar and then it's going to take me 45 minutes to get there on the 405 and then blah, blah, blah. And then, blah. you know, I'm a mom, I have a kid, I have a husband. There's all these other things that are going on. So there's just, it's not, it's not as easy to access. And here it's going to take you a lot less to drive. You, you're, you can email the person right away and they'll get back to you. Um, 
people are interested in your decency. People want uh, to accept help. That's another thing. Like it's mm. not everybody's just trying to do it all on their own and, and hike up this ladder of achievement. And it's not a, a town that glamorizes over productivity. It's a real work-life balance here. And that I think on a personal level is such a wonderful lesson to me that I don't, again, I don't have to come here and be the person that I was. I can let this town and this city teach me their ways and I can, I, my nervous system can mimic the pulse of Boise as opposed to Boise catching up to me in LA. I would want that for no one here. Yeah. Um, what she was mentioning today is uh, just with what I do, we um, have sponsors who will come and help us feed teachers. We've been doing that every week since COVID started. I did it with a, my friend who owns a company called Cup Up. Um, and what's interesting for what I do is it, I, I'm, I see that so much in Boise is that you can kind of decide what you want to do and do it. And people accept that. Like you don't have to have this big pedigree. You don't have to prove something. If you're willing to do something, you're willing to work, uh, or willing to start a business people. I feel like we're kind of all on the same playing field. Um, like with what I do, I mean, what I half the things I do, sometimes I think, why are people letting me do this? But I'm like, well, because I want to, and cause I'm, I'm say I want to do it. And so they're like, okay, let's do it. And so many times I don't have imposter syndrome, but I just think, why are people letting me like just organize this? Okay, let's do it. It's fun. And it's just because we're all kind of open to everybody else's plans and kind of, and I love that. And um, I don't think it would work so well um, in, in many of the other cities. Mm -mm. If you could pluck something from where you came from, a behavior a custom, a tradition, and plop it into Boise or into Idaho that you think would benefit it, what would it be? Oh, my God. I know. That's I mean, a tough one. See, this is... Oh man. <laughs> Can I start while you guys are thinking? Yes. I'm going to take one. From the South. <clears throat> one thing I didn't love when I moved here was I felt like in the neighborhoods, uh, I felt like there was a kind of a division where you went to church. It was how you found your friends. And I've heard this over and over and over again, that if you didn't come to a certain, into a certain church, that you were not as easily welcomed in, in the neighborhoods, um, especially with the families. Like if you went to a certain church, I'm not going to name any of this, the particular religions, but we have, uh, we have a lot of religions here, but that people felt a little ostracized if they weren't automatically coming into a certain church or religion. Um, and I didn't feel that in the South. And I wish that, that somehow uh, there was a, there wasn't a barrier there that if they didn't belong to the same church or, um, they might not just be church, it could be school, but that we kind of code our friendships and our tribes based on some of those maybe belief systems. Um, maybe it was even politics. I, I feel like in this area, sometimes um, certain political parties are almost religious in a, in a way that I was not expecting because neither of us really are um, follow a party line. Um, I wish that we could kind of see outside of those arbitrary uh, definitions of people and just really find our tribes based on kindness and and other, I guess, other, um, other outlets or other, other places, but... That's just my thought on that. I think one thing, and whenever I mention this to people, I think they're surprised. I think New Yorkers can be very judgmental when it comes to the environment. And I know I've had to think about that. And I mean, when it comes to consumption or consumerism, you, 
we always had a small apartment in New York. I lived in 350 square feet to 650 square feet all my adult life. I don't buy stuff because where am I going to put it? Or if I buy anything, I have to get rid of something else. Coming here, we wanted a two-bedroom, two-bath, 1,000-square-foot house. And we were told, but we wanted a big yard. We are told, you're not going to find that here. So now we're in a 2,000-square-foot, four-bedroom house that is just crazy to me. Crazy. What, what am I supposed to do with three other bedrooms? It's a two-story house. We live in the one-bedroom upstairs. Um, consumption is one thing. New Yorkers are very judgmental. Why do you need a pickup truck? Why do you need an SUV? Um, why do you need 45 pairs of shoes? Why do you need, you know, multiple vehicles? And, and I, in on one hand, I totally get it. We're looking out for the environment. Don't consume. I don't need 10 coats hanging in my closet. Um, on the other hand, we, we, we do have the space here. And if you utilize, so I have to kind of come to that. Let you be you, that there's no, but um, in some ways I do revert back to why, why do we have to keep going to these big box stores and buying, having four sets of dishes? I mean, I literally had eight plates and eight bowls and eight cups and that was it. Like, there's no other space in my kitchen of four cabinets to put more than that. Wait, I'm confused. So you don't have like an Easter set and uh. a Thanksgiving set and a Christmas set like my mom. Right. That's and your no. grandmas and yeah. your moms. No. Okay. Okay. Well, okay. well that's but interesting. on the other hand, the history of that and handing it down and the memories that must come from sitting at a special dinner and thinking of all the meals it took there. But those are ways that I've had to come back around and, and look at myself as to what that's got to be very special but no i still have if you go into my kitchen eight cups six coffee cups eight plates it's just part of me mm. something about the <laughs> consumerism that really resonates and i don't know that it's necessarily that idaho suffers from this but i think that everybody suffers from it i spent so much of my saturday a couple uh, weeks back just putting stuff away finding a place to put all the clutter. And I'm like, I haven't touched this stuff in a year. Why is it so hard to find? Like I'm managing stuff that I don't, don't use. It's so much work. And then whenever um, like someone in your family dies and you have to go and clean out a house and you find yourself thinking, what the bleep is going on in their heads? Why do they have all these magazines and, and doilies and cat coasters and crazy stuff? And you're like, why are we, why are we wired to collect so much? Wow. I, I will say that that all the stuff he was dealing with was mine, like for all of it. <laughs> also, I'm you know I decorate for the holidays, and we're actually rethinking that because I'm like, is it is it necessary to have a whole box for Valentine's Day? I mean, it's, that's the suckiest holiday, but yet I, I just make him find a place for it. I don't get rid of it. <laughs> I'm a huge fan. Like I run this experiment in my mind that I can rarely get her to uh, agree to, but try it out. Like, what's the worst <laughs> that could happen if you didn't have this thing? Right. Like what's the risk that you're running because you're making a choice to keep this thing or this silverware set or whatever. If you didn't have that thing when you needed it, what's the real outcome going to be? Can you live with that? So many times I find myself thinking, toss it. I'm sorry. Are we going to bring in hunting? Any of your supplies, any camping supplies, anything for your truck. Are those things also on the table for what's the worst that could happen if you didn't have these things? Uh, I'll put my money where my mouth is, woman. <laughs> Look at my stuff and tell me when I don't what I don't use, and I will absolutely consider it. 100% mine as well. I will use that doily. <laughs> it 
is a, has a beautiful place. It lives somewhere meaningful. Anyway, you should seriously. I got a video. They, our entire garage is Shane's hobbies. Anyway, love it. It's so great. It That's <laughs> okay. Anyway, we didn't get your answer to that though. Let's, let's move back. Diversion. Diversion. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it, here's the thing. When you come from a city, like that first surface answer is like, Hey, can someone get a Nordstrom here? Or like can, just a free people. I don't know. Just maybe a free people or all of California is probably asking for an in and out here. Um, but I'll say this to tackle that. I, I don't want any of that here. Like it would be cool. And if it comes here, like awesome. That's, I didn't move to Boise so that one day I would be able to have all the things that I had in LA. I moved to Boise because there's like a real romance here and a real, um, uh, kind of dance with nature and, um, a place where you can have solitude and silence and like be in your own thoughts. And obviously there's a reoccurring theme here every time I answer, but it's, it's space. That's what I want. I don't want more things to move in. And honestly, that's why we built a house because, Coming from California, I'm not an idiot. I'm aware of what's going on here. I understand that Californians are coming with cash. That was not me, but people are coming with their massive budgets and, and you know, kicking Idahoans who have been here for years who also want an opportunity to upgrade and move. And then they can't afford because they're beat out by 18 other offers in cash. And then they don't get to live their dream. Like, I fully understand what's going on here in this town. And I, I hate that for this city. And we were advised to build something so that we would like not be in the already built market. Um, and, and part of, you know, us landing here was to, I think, access this, this romance uh, that I very much see in this town. It's a very romantic city. So what I want to pluck out, this is what I want. Okay. And I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I advise and I am demanding this from someone listening because people can have businesses out of their homes. And I know that one person's doing this in town. The girl just wants a, a wine bar in the middle of like some street with some tree lights and like very dim, like one light like hanging down on it. And there's a place where I live near Hyde park. And I swear to God, I was walking up to it and I was like, this is it. This is the wine bar. Oh my God. And it, I'm not going to say it because people will know what the business was, but it was, it was not a wine bar. It was something the complete opposite of a wine bar. And I was like, I just want a place where I feel like I'm, I'm in this secret romantic bungalow engaging with the history and the healing nature of Boise and all the history of Boise tied to, I mean, it's a very healing place and, and wine can do the same thing. And so <laughs> I'm just trying to find like these little vignettes and I hope they pop up where it's not some big restaurant and it's not some bar, but it's like we, there's just some little secret somewhere and it just speaks to the, the specialness of this city. And I ho I really hope that made sense. So that's your call to action. You think that Boise needs that. Kind of like when you're walking around Paris and you find something that that's, you want that. I, I, I would love and that. I, did, I found a couple of that of those places in LA. I mean, everything's kind of on top of itself. New York, I think, has a romance that LA doesn't. Like you can walk down the cobblestones and find yourself in like one of the, like a Michelin star restaurant. You didn't even know it was there. Maybe there's no sign outside. Mm -hmm. But LA, it's all bright lights that you know of everything. And the things that try and be these like secret romance places they get so inhabited by celebrities and by media and it's like it it defeats the purpose of of it in the first place but i feel like boise because of its decency and because of its population and because of the wine culture here too mm -hmm. it would just be so cool to have these little pop-up places that were like family owned um 
and just created something that other places don't have. You know a couple of those places? No, but it's becoming clear in my mind an idea. Yeah, well, no, we like, should. what if somebody wouldn't it be awesome if there were like a literal pop up? Somebody with a trailer with like two tables, eight chairs, four bottles of wine, and once a week they popped up in a different spot, and you that. never knew where it was going to be, and you just had to be there and you saw it, and then the next weekend they're somewhere else. That's a dream. It's literally that's that be a cool? dream. Yeah, there's enough market for like. A dozen of those pop-ups just start popping up. It's but, a f- but tell us about it first. I mean, I, yeah, yeah. I know. But like yeah. DM me and tell me where you're going to yeah, be and yeah. then I'll be there. I, I said to my husband when we moved here or when we were thinking about a place to move, because actually Nashville was on our list. And I said, all I want is just to like get an invite to like a shrimp boil, like in, in the backyard with some tree lights and people are playing horseshoes. And I want like a live americana band playing and like i just want that life i just want to be like i just want to be like down home and just in the in the land and and getting my me and my hands all messy in the boil and like i just want to get back to the root of being a human and and so we're here in idaho and we're gonna do the shrimp boil i think one thing you mentioned about being invited to someone's house and i'm assuming la is a little bit like this is because apartments or homes are so small you typically meet people out in those circumstances. Whereas here you have the luxury of being able to invite people into your home and you actually have the space to entertain, whether it's a backyard or a dining room, you don't have that in the larger cities. Mm -hmm. So it's a very special thing to have here. There you're having to rent a room at a restaurant or it's expensive. Money. Yeah. Yes. All right. Call to action. Make it happen and let us know because uh, <laughs> I want to go there too. That sounds really fun. So as we're wrapping up on our time, let me ask one final question. Based on your experiences and where you've been and how long you've been here, not a lot of time, a few years for mm-hmm. you, Melissa. Are there any trends that you're seeing that are concerning that might jeopardize the things that made Idaho special to you when you first got here? Hmm. I do get concerned with the cost of living, especially when it comes to housing, that um, uh, housing is getting more expensive. And I'm not sure if there's the industry here or the salaries here to keep up with that. And so I do especially feel bad for those young 20 and 30 somethings trying to get in their first homes or the young families having to make the choice of, you know, do we both need to work or can we afford a house? Do we have to keep renting? And even I feel like apartment renting has really gone up here. So I, 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 I hate seeing that for people because I think then that's where that competitive education, the job, sticking to jobs that maybe you don't like because you just need to make the money rather than following the entrepreneur things or really doing um, stuff outside of what just makes money to pay the bills. I second that. Um, that that's a, a conundrum, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I understand the complexity um, because people aren't as vocal about New Yorkers moving here. Um, people are very vocal for good reason about Californians moving here and, you know, Washingtonians and Oregonians and anybody who has the cash to be able to buy what uh, in Idaho and can't right off the bat. So it is concerning. Um, 
And I don't know what the answer is. You know, there are good people all in the United States who want Idaho to be exactly what it is when they came to see it and when they visited it. I don't want to, um, you know, plunder. I don't want to, I don't want this to be Portland. Oh, but Boise's on its way to being Port. No, I don't want that. Um, I want Idaho to be what I saw it to be in May. Um, and and I hope it is for my children and, and my children's children. Like, I, I, I hope that this place never changes. That said, things change. More people will come here. So what do we do with that? And and I, I don't know the answer to that. Maybe there will be higher pay and higher salaries with people who are coming from these bigger cities who had um, higher minimum wage requirements, uh, more money in their pocket, the same money that they're spending on that house. Hopefully they're entrepreneurial and, and giving to their employees. And then therefore those people are now able to compete in this market. Um more diversity, more, um, you know, and I mean that not just in a, a non-white way, but just access to certain types of food. Like maybe there's, uh, you know, a, a genre of food that doesn't live here. Maybe there's um, this wine bar that we're talking about. Maybe there's like a builder out there who only is going to agree to build houses for people in Idaho. And it's a nonprofit organization that says, you know what, we got to keep part of Idaho you know, homegrown. And so anybody who's going to build with us on this piece of land, you actually have to be living in Idaho for more than 25 years. Like, I don't know. But I think that like, at a certain point, the people who come here, we all have to work together. We all have to work together. And when we have to see each other in the flesh, not talk to each other on Facebook and Facebook groups, we have to like, actually meet with one another and say, okay, so I'm here now. And that's not going to change. And I want the best for you. And I want the best for my family. And I'm here to help how. And I hope that 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 what is concerning turns into a call to action where we can, um, you know, agree to disagree on some things. But at the end of the day, keep this keep this town um, with the pulse that it had when we all came. Something about that feels like this community, like always recognizing and acting in a way that we're in this together and we need to help each other. We need to talk civilly and we need to find out ways together to address some of these problems. I feel like this place is still small enough where we can still bind together. I don't know how you make that pitch to LA or New York to bind together. Um, Not to say that they haven't, but I don't know, like on a sustainable basis, I feel like that's still achievable here. Yeah, I I agree. Definitely. All right. Wrap us up, girl. (laughs) Well, thank you guys so much. This was so interesting. Um, and yeah, we might need to come back because I feel like we might need to talk about some other things on this wine bar thing. I'm, I'm definitely like needing to, uh, needing to, uh, learn more about that or make that happen. Um, so if people are interested in learning more about you, can you tell us where they can find you? Sure. Uh, Instagram account for work is numbers in tech or personal is Melissa Shane. All right. Um, you can go to skinowl.com uh, and everything's there. You can hit the podcast from there. If you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you can search Off the Record um, and we'll be there right under David Bowie's Off the Record, but whatever, it's fine. <laughs> um, and then uh, you can uh, follow us on Instagram at skinowl or at Off the Record with you and come visit us. We're in Southeast Boise on Boundway. Come in and, and get a little pamper. We got you. Thank you so much. All Thank right. You. We'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks for listening. This is the Boise Bubble Podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast and leave a five-star review. Follow us on Instagram at the Boise Bubble. And for more information about our community, follow at Hello Meridian. See you next time.
The Boise Bubble Podcast is sponsored by Volkswagen of Boise. If you're looking for great customer service, amazing cars, and of course, an opportunity to meet Mark, their fun coordinator, make sure to head to Volkswagen of Boise.